for the Indians. One run on, let's see, one hit. That's all we got. One goddamn hit. You can't say goddamn on the air. Don't worry, nobody's listening anyway. From the Gateway Lounge in Sioux Falls, it's nobody's listening anyway. Here are your hosts, John Gaskins and Matt Zimmer. You know, there was an episode of Seinfeld, one of my favorites, where Elaine's trying to discover if uh, a beautiful bosom of a uh, of one of the ladies that Jerry was dating was actually for real. And of course, in the end, the Terry Hatchers were real and spectacular. And for all season long, this silly spring season, what Mike McFeely from Fargo calls a joke of an FCS season. Well, guess what? The South Dakota State Jackrabbits are on the brink of a national title. And although we've questioned the realness of this season, indeed, it feels very real and very spectacular. Certainly, if you were at Dana J. Dykehouse Stadium on Saturday. I wasn't, but the colors flew through the air, burst out of my TV set on ESPN, and Matt Zimmer was there with about 9,000 other friends, and it was just a big party after the uh, after the heart attack game that was Southern Illinois, and now it's the Jackrabbits and Sam Houston State, the Bearcats, Sunday at 1, and we've gone from the four-letter network to one of the three-letter networks, A. B C Frisco, Texas. So uh, it's exciting. Uh, some of the stuff we've brought up all season long on this podcast when it comes to this Jackrabbit season will be brought up again, but the kind of the, the texture changes as, as the weeks go by. And again, it is actually real and spectacular and here. And by the way, if you're not going to make it to Frisco, Texas, and you still want a little excitement, a little atmosphere, gateway lounge, Sunday, their doors were open at 10.30 this past Saturday, like a real college football Saturday, uh, just for the Jackrabbit fans. And they'll have the beer flowing, awesome pizza, wings, beef, chislick, like Zim likes. Gateway Lounge, Sunday. Uh, I mean, the doors will open well before the 1 p.m. kickoff, but uh, that's when the, the real party gets started. Zim will be there. Incredibly busy week, probably one of the busiest of your life. So thanks for joining me today. And... Um, We've already gotten a nice little warm-up. We did actual real radio today. We dressed up nice, and uh, I thought, did all right being adults today, but now we don't have to be. It's 9.30 on Monday night. Hi, John. Hi, Matt. How you doing? <laughs> Good. Did you like the build-up there? Yeah, that was weird. Like, were you setting me up for my own little monologue or something? Or well, that's that's usually what happens. But we could have a real conversation where we're not. We can we can play a little ping pong instead of clay court tennis or the old pong game. Boop boop. If you like, I don't care. Whatever you'd like to do. I uh, I just got done watching the forty year old virgin with Jen and Arthur. Yeah. Uh, obviously, Arthur wasn't paying too close of attention because that movie's not for kids. Okay. So we you know put his iPad in front of him, but. No, Jen and I uh, had kind of a long weekend and had dinner, took Arthur uh, for a bike ride. He went around the block for the first time, so that was a big moment in his life, all the way around the block on the bike. Congratulations and, to uh, Arthur. And uh, I said, she was, we were like, I'm in the mood for a funny movie. And I said, 40-Year-Old Virgin might be the funniest movie of all time. I really believe that. I think it's that <laughs> that good. So uh, we just got done watching it, and uh, it timed it perfect. I was watching like... God, John's going to call with like five minutes left, but you're always late. So I was like, actually, yeah, this is probably going to work out perfect. And then you text me like right at 930, like I'm a few minutes late. 
And normally I'd have been like, God, you asshole. Again, you're always late. <laughs> but this time I was like, perfect, perfect. The movie's not quite over yet. And it had been over for like two minutes when you called. So For me, the timing of those things is always, okay, about midway through the movie, I have to pee really bad. And when am I going to <laughs> finally just go and miss a few minutes and just well, obviously when you're at home, you can just push pause. But uh, right. it's always like, OK, am I? But the, the, the deeper I get in the movie, the closer to the end, I'm, you know, it's going to get better. I'm going to when do I when do I tap out? Uh, do you have any do you have any analogies to the Jackrabbits actually playing for the national title from the 40 year old version like I had the Seinfeld? Um, I guess probably kind of, of course, it's the ultimate analogy, right? It might just happen right. for them. Yeah, it's they're finally it's like, <laughs> I think, uh. If they win, if they win it, we can say, uh, "Wow, you're officially a national champion now," because that's, you know, kind of the line she gives him when he, yes, gets it done. Right. Yeah. Well, this, uh, it, it, it I, we hope it feels like it only takes a few minutes for the Jackrabbits on on Sunday. <laughs> that's how it. That's how, or a one minute or whatever it was. It, it that that's really all it was uh, on Saturday against Delaware. But uh, but yeah, it kind of feels like their whole lives. They the blue you know, hens were a one pump chump. <laughs> <laughs> it just I've kinda, been drinking. Can you tell? Yeah. It, it's just oh, I just started, so I, now I can't. I I didn't. <laughs> Uh, well it's kind of like the jacks have been preparing their whole lives for a a moment that like their best friends have all experienced you know the ones up north across the border and they just you know they've been really nervous about it they always seem to kind of uh wince and and chicken out and you know or have a stroke of bad luck and uh and now it might you know it might actually happen for them they might have a suitable dance partner in in south in sam houston state or as they call them soft houston state apparently which uh the jackrabbits are hoping they will be yeah from the southland conference with no d get it oh okay all right so um uh, yeah we we decided to do the the real and to the point radio segment today so we're you know now we're doing seinfeld and 40 year old virgin and um whatever (laughs) follows after that but uh, we'll, we'll get into Sam Houston State, which uh, obviously kind of as the week goes along, you get a little bit more serious and entrenched about. But uh, I'll, I'll do what I did on the radio today on Calling All Sports with Marco and Mike H. Very appreciative that they uh, allowed us the time on their show uh, to talk about the biggest win in Jackrabbit history. Get ready for the next biggest game ever. Uh, but, yeah, set the scene for, for us. Uh, you wrote well about it on uh, Sunday, but um, – how how real did it feel in Brookings on Saturday? Um, I mean, you know, before the pandemic, obviously Jackrabbit attendance was a thing that we were talking about, and the playoff crowds in particular have not been great, um, which is not terribly uncommon in a lot of places because, you know, if season tickets aren't included, a lot of people are just kind of like, all right, I already bought my, you know, I'm, I'm not doing it, whatever. The flip side of that is always, the crowds you get for those playoff games, they might be small, uh, but it's, you know, the, the fans are more engaged. It's the diehards. It's the people that really care and want to be there. And uh, so that usually makes for a pretty good environment. That's kind of what you had here. Um, and it was a bigger crowd than there has been. They announced it at 4,500. And as I've said a couple of times, these playoff crowd, or these COVID crowds, I should say, have seemed like maybe they're a little bit better than what is being counted for whatever reason. I, I don't know for sure if that's the case. 
I heard you say earlier 9,000 because they said on ESPN apparently that there were, there were definitely not 9,000. That was, I think someone on ESPN got confused about that. Well, that's that the, the most capacity. Yeah. Yeah. That's the most they could have got uh, based on what the NCAA was allowing. But there was definitely not 9,000 people there. Anyway, there were probably, there were probably five or 6,000, something like that. And uh, it was great. I mean, it was, it was a really good environment. It was a beautiful day. Again, it kind of felt like, you know, felt a little bit like a fall game. Um, and as I said to you on the radio show this morning, I very much felt a, a strong sense of, I guess, cautious optimism going into the game that, that it kind of felt like the entire stadium was holding its breath, you know, in that everyone knew, um, hey, this is what we've been waiting for forever. And this is the best chance we've ever had. And not that uh, Sam Houston, not that Delaware isn't a good team, but they're not the Bison. You know, this is the best chance we've ever had. Are we finally going to do it, or is something going to go wrong again? Yeah, Are we this is blow also where we usually screw up. Yes, right. And uh, you know, I never felt like I, I know you know Delaware scored first, but just a field goal. It certainly wasn't anything near like Southern Illinois, where they actually found themselves legitimately down. But after maybe those just first couple of minutes, where it was like, okay, Delaware's here to play. Um, you know, they got a touchdown, then a couple of big plays, and, you know, uh, there was a fumble or a turn. I don't even remember what it was. But the Jacks get the ball back again, score in the trick play, 14-3. to And 14-3, to that's just an 11-point lead. But with Delaware's quarterback also getting banged up, it very much felt like, okay, this could be one of those the route is on sort of things. And that's exactly what happened. And you could just feel the entire stadium. You know, I said earlier how – it felt like the first few minutes the entire stadium was holding its breath. Well, once it went 14-3, the entire stadium exhaled. You know, it was just like, oh, we're really going to do it. This is going to happen. We're not going to choke. We're not going to blow it. We're going to beat Delaware. We're going to Frisco. And to the Jacks' credit, Delaware never even made a run. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, they took the lead, built on the lead, just ran away with the game. And, you know, Delaware had this one incredibly long drive, which – ended up taking them so long that even if they'd got a touchdown, it, w it was, would have benefited the Jacks more than Delaware anyway. But when they turned that drive away too, and you know, they, they go 10 minutes and don't even get any points. That was kind of the exclamation point. And that, I think if I remember correctly, it was at the end of that drive when they started blaring, if you want to play in Texas by Alabama over the loudspeakers, which has kind of become the FCS tradition. Um, and it was just, it was really cool. It was just really cool to be there to see it. Uh, to see Stig get the Gatorade bath, to see, you know, some of the upperclassmen, the Logan Backuses, Preston Tetzloff, Wes Janant, you know, some of those guys, Logan and Wes, you know, they're four-year starters. They go back to, you know, they played with Dallas Goddard and Taron Christian and, you know, all those guys and, you know, who were some of the greatest players in SDSU history who didn't get to go to this game. And uh, when the game ended, those were the guys I was thinking of, you know, uh, just how great they were and how much they deserved, I thought, be in this situation and it just never happened and uh you know they finally got it done and uh also obviously i, I decided about halfway through the game that my angle for my column was going to focus on on john stiglmeyer and him finally getting them there and very happy for him too i mean i don't think you know i'm i'm uh giving away any secrets in in saying that i like john i admire john i, I you know i have a really good relationship with him and i'm very grateful for how much he uh you know, just the access he gives me to that program and, uh, you know, someone who does things the right way, the way he does, um, makes it easy to root for him. And I, I was just really happy for him because, 
you know, they still got to win it. Um, and, and if they don't, that'll be super disappointing for them. But I think even just getting to Frisco uh, is a big step for this program and something that if he, if he couldn't get them there this time, and we talked about this a little bit last week, if they lost this game, mm. it is just like, you know, this is something that Stig's going to have to carry with him and it's going to be hard for him to, to get past it to, you know, unless they, you know, make up for it this coming fall. But as we all know, it's going to be a lot harder in the fall. Uh, it's going to be a, a more fuller season and NDSU supposedly is going to be reloading. Who knows what it's going to look like. They'll never necessarily have this golden of an opportunity. And it was just really good to see them take advantage of that. Well, uh, you know, uh, there, there's a lot to take away from everything you just said. Uh, a lot of directions we could go because I, I, I'm just going to say this. Yeah, out I loud. rambled on like you on that one. Sorry about yeah, that. Yeah. Well, <laughs> you've been drinking. Uh, <laughs> what you been drinking, by the way? Uh, why do I even ask? Is it Budweiser? Or have you cr- cracked the uh, bourbon? No, I'm. Uh, I'm not. A, I'm a rum guy. Me and, That's uh, right. I keep forgetting you're. You, uh, me and my buddy Ron have been me. talking for a couple hours. Okay, I thought you'd been watching the forty-year-old version. Oh, and, sorry, I thought, sorry, yeah. never mind. You and your Ron buddy Bacardi. who? Ron Bacardi. Oh, okay, gotcha. I didn't you know. I didn't know Bacardi had a first name. <laughs> yeah, Ron Bacardi. Jeez, Jack Daniels, Ron Bacardi. Come on, man. I thought it was Jim Bacardi. B. I've never heard of the Ron part. It says it right in the freaking bottle, man. No one ever reads it, and you don't have to say freaking. We're not on. We're not on. We're not on statewide radio anymore, uh, but I I admire you for having a few drinks and limiting that to frickin'. Um, no, I mean I, I keep this locked in the back of your somewhat inebriated state. That I, I'd love to ask if this is if this is the best South Dakota State team because there have been ones with bigger and better talent. But I want to yeah. I want to focus on on Stiegelmeyer for a second because that was the genesis of your main column, which was good because this was history for South Dakota State and it's a, it was been a long climb and he's been a part of it every step of the way. He was entrenched in a program that was mediocre at D two as you wrote for the first seven years of his. Head coaching tenure, they didn't even reach the playoffs, and they only won six games like twice. Is that correct? Something like they that. Won more than six. More they basically six. won six games yeah. almost every year. It they they were six and five, six and five, six and five, and then a random seven and four. And yeah, they were never bad. They were never bad. Just every year it was six and five, seven and four, six and five, seven and four. For whatever reason, they couldn't kind of branch into the upper echelon. And I mean, to be fair, Division Two was a lot different then like it's tough. a ton of schools who are now fcs division one whatever yeah are were division two at the time sure. the ncc was a, a meat grinder the nsic is good yeah. the ncc was another thing entirely and sdsu did not have the facilities or the stadium or anything like that i mean i don't know how it compared to the others in the ncc but uh certainly for its first several years after 2004 I guess you could say leading all the way up until the building of the Dana J. Dyke House in 2016, uh, that stadium and their facilities either lagged behind or were nothing special. And it's no coincidence that uh, as things like that started to uh, pile up, so did success. But I mean, they were building pretty good and they're great before the the stadium was built and the N-Jack was built. And even, you know, back... S-Jack. S-Jack, thank you. The... Um, I remember Stiegelmeyer, you know, it kind of felt like the pinnacle of this program as a brand uh, before going to the national title game as they are was, of course, the college game day visit back in 2019. And I remember Stig on that interview and he, he did his live interview on that show. You know, somebody asked him about how it rose to prominence that way. And b- being as forthright and honest as he always is, 
he he said, well, basically there were a few guys, and I think the words were a few guys who were just ultra determined to to make uh, this something special, and they invested in it. And yeah, you know, that's that's a nice way of saying there were a couple of heavy hitters who wanted to uh, donate a lot of big money to give SDSU what it absolutely needed. And, mm-hmm. you know, I, I, one of them was definitely Dana J. Dykehouse. Well, and, and that's always, that's a big reason why, you know, when, when they went D1, it's understandable why it was controversial and why certain people didn't want to do it. But that was one of the reasons to do it is this idea that like people will be more interested in getting involved in giving, like would Dana J. Dykehouse had given, have given them that kind of money to play in the for a stadium in the NSIC, I don't think he probably would have. So you know, you, you can say that you can say that oh, this happened because these people uh, stepped up, and that's true. But you can also it's it's kind of a also a chicken egg thing. Like also, they wouldn't have stepped up if the program hadn't said we're going to try and take this to another level and you know make this a bigger thing. Cause yeah, even basketball gets involved. You know, like F- football is in in the the subdivision. You know, it's not the highest level of of college football basketball is kind of i mean that you know the summit league is obviously a mid-major but they play in the same tournament as duke and north yeah. carolina and everybody else and once the basketball team started going to the ncaa tournament and stuff i mean it was like wow this is real and i think that definitely had a big impact and you know i said this to you on the radio show today like if you'd have told anyone back when they decided to go division one that it would look like this that the basketball teams would have what how, I don't even know how many. Well, the men have four and the women have nine. I don't even know what it is. Yeah. Um, all these NCAA tournament appearances, the football teams in the national championship have been to the playoffs 10 times. You're playing in this $65 million stadium. Frost is about to get upgraded. The wrestling team has had a national champion. It's it's wild to, to, to kind of think of where it is. And like I said to you earlier, even the most optimistic Jacks fan, I don't think, envisioned this. Man, what you and I would give to hear some of those uh, shows, uh, early days of the sports talk show on KWSN with Craig Maddock and Mike Hendrickson. And I don't remember Mike's stance, but I do remember Craig. Craig was re- very against it. I yeah. remember driving around the lake in Worthington, Minnesota, before I ever knew that I was coming to Sioux Falls and uh, hearing the show and Craig, you know, Craig talking about ooey pooey and uh, everybody's drinking their jackrabbit juice and just, you know, th- thought you were going to uh, combust a, a great thing, which was these great D2 rivalries in the NCC, which may have been the best conference and it probably was. And for about five years, he was right. But, uh, you know, uh, as, as much of a pie in the sky as, as he and Arthur probably thought it would be. Uh, <laughs> what's he telling you? Something about uh, Freddie Fazbear. I don't okay. know who that is. You should tell him cool. about Ferris Bueller. Yeah. Okay, that's good. <laughs> Are you done? Mm-hmm. Okay, thanks, bud. I'll leave a hammer right on here. And Maddie, if I'm too scared, I'll do this. Okay, you do that, and then I'll know you're too scared. I'll do it with this hammer. Okay, sounds good. <laughs> Uh, anyway, there are doubters and, uh, you know, I'm not, th- I don't want to throw Craig under the bus, uh, but it was cause you had to, you had to have some vision back then. And obviously Dana and those guys and Stiegelmeyer had vision and, uh, it was totally sensible at the time to, to say, okay, okay yeah, good luck. You, you, because the mathematical equation was you've been, you've been in an incredibly competitive conference, not nation conference that you have a hard time cracking the top three or four out of it and, and, and at this level. And now you want to go to that level and think you can all, uh, all of a sudden just be in March madness on CBS or, uh, yeah, play for a national title in, in the FCS or even, you know, uh, get into the quarterfinals for that matter. 
And um, they hired a consulting firm yeah. to tell them whether or not they should go Division One, and they said don't do it. Yeah. So so anyone who sort of shits on the doubters, I, I don't think that's fair. Like you can clearly the doubters were wrong, and the people who want to do it to to go are right, and I think it's perfectly okay to acknowledge that now. But to act like the people who were opposed to the move you know, were stupid or, yeah. or didn't have good reason to oppose it. That that's just not true. There were, there were legitimate reasons to oppose it. Yeah. And it, you, you mentioned the chicken and the egg thing. Yes. If, if Dana J. Dykehouse and a few other uh, people with deep wallets would have uh, funded, you know, a division two revival, then yeah, they'd probably crack the up. They'd probably be the elite of the of Division Two and may have competed for a national title actually in basketball. It's one thing you really can't do in Division One. You're not going to win six games in the NCAA tournament if you're South Dakota State. You know, Butler made it to the championship game twice. George Mason made a Final Four. It's just not going to you know. One of the reasons to oppose it. I yeah, mean, I exactly. remember when Chad, when Chad Lavin was USD's women's coach. He didn't want the Coyotes to go, and, he, and his big reason was if we do this, then football is the only sport that can ever play for a national championship. Yeah. Yeah, and that's a pretty good point. It is, but uh, you know, overall, I think everybody's enjoyed this ride, and it's finally here. And and look, if if you would have said back in 2004, yeah, your football team's going to play for a national title, but it's going to take 17 years, you'd go, that would seem like an awfully damn long time. Like, is that worth it? I don't know. I don't know. But uh, here we are, and uh, it it is a testament to how much of a difference money can make, and that's not at all to under underscore undervalue deflate uh the the acumen the effort everything that's gone into uh everything that Stiegelmeyer has led for the last 17 18 years in division one because i think the mathematical equation in division two was he knew what he was doing he had good players they had a very competitive team but maybe it wasn't the resources what was the magic thing or magic bullet that kept them from being an elite school at that level and uh, yeah, yeah, as it turns out, you take super talented and dedicated people who were doing a really good job, and then yes, give them some dough, give them some resources. Look at that's a magic drug, and that potent combination uh, led to within a few years making the playoffs and being a regular in the playoffs and knocking on the door, and and here they are. It's okay to admit money played a big part in all of this. Thank goodness it did. And, and Stiegelmeyer would be the first one. A, he was the first one to admit it because I'm, you know, this all started from me going back to what he said on college game day about it becoming an elite FCS uh, program. But also remember he went on sports talk with Craig and John back. I think it was in 2019. It was 2019 because that's the last season we were on the air and that they played in the fall and it was North Dakota state week. And he had at that point in his career, 23 years in, no problems with with mentioning how wouldn't it be nice to have the extra million dollars that they have in their football budget that uh, for us to have in our football budget that they have in theirs that that'll you know it's four million versus five million that might just go a long way and Frank I have no idea if they've closed the gap in that but that that's I guess that's both a a testament to he's you know he's he's got a point there uh, money has proven to go a long way in making the Jacks what they are and empowering and emboldening all the talents of Stiegelmeyer and his staff. But uh, but also, if they haven't closed that $1 million gap, at least the Jacks have proven they can <laughs> they can finally, they can get there without it. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I mean, they, <clears throat> you know, like I, you kind of alluded to, they were getting it done before they had all this stuff. Yeah. And now they get all this stuff, and obviously it makes them better. But it is kind of one of those, you know, the arms race of college football in that, um, you know, you start getting stuff 
on some level that just makes you even more greedy, you know, and mm-hmm. less content. The more you get, the more you want, you know, it's like, okay, we got our stadium. We need an indoor facility. Okay. We got our indoor facility. Now we need, you know, cost of attendance. Okay. We got cost of attendance. Now we need training table. Okay. We got training table. Now we need, uh, you know, to be able to fly our recruits in or, you know, whatever the, the next thing is. Um, and that, that's just kind of the reality of it. It's probably never going to change. And I don't blame Stig for, for wanting to point out like, hey, the, our big rivals that we're always trying to beat, they have more than we do. Um, but I don't know if, you know, is that has that been the difference over the last 10 years is, you know, that NDSU is able to spend more money on flying recruits around or whatever it is. I mean, I'm sure it's a factor, but I think having eight national championship trophies in the trophy case is probably the biggest thing that yeah. buys them half. And then, of course, you just recruiting. go back to, okay, well, how much did th- those kind of things pour into the eight national championships? You know, another chicken and the egg type of thing. Right, but, yeah, exactly. But here we are, They, you know, and, and that's where we can go back to, well, all right, SDSU finally uh, cracked through this thing. And the NDSU's on the sidelines for just uh, for a national title game for just the second time in ten years. The one year they didn't win it in the previous nine, they were knocked out by JMU, who was the only national that was in the final four in the Fargo Dome, and then they and JMU went on to win the title. So, um, th- so now we can circle back to all right. There's we we now have more data. How real and legitimate is this? You keep saying there aren't, you don't see or hear that from NDSU that this isn't a real season or this isn't as meaningful of a national title. Uh, but you know, I'll keep going back to at least the most public guy who writes about this, Mike McFeely. And I really like Mike. I think he's a great writer. I think he's got good insight. I appreciate his strong opinions and, uh, you know, willing to swim upstream both uh, culturally and politically <laughs> uh, in, in, in sports and beyond in what he does. But he has been he has been continuing to say this. Is, he thinks this has been a joke of a season and that might be separate from the conversation of if North Dakota state just wasn't very good, but, uh, or, or, you know, or as good as they usually are, but okay. Now we keep asking it every week, but we get a new audience every week. There's a new layer here with the Jacks truly there and, and people truly experiencing the wind to get there on Saturday in Brookings. So now how, how, legitimate does this season and would this national title feel um i think it feels and will be pretty legitimate uh especially because unless the game itself does not happen yeah um we will get through the entire playoffs you know no cancellations in the playoffs no forfeits anything like that um we obviously had a rough patch in march there where games were getting canceled left and right but i think in hindsight now that we've had some time to kind of look back from that holy shit that looks scary arthur i wouldn't click on that if i were you yeah what yeah don't click on it don't click on it it looks too scary um but i think you know and i mentioned this i think last week and i've talked about it some other times like the one good thing about getting to these playoffs is we've kind of weeded out the teams that don't give a shit that's what's happened here and i think that's also why we had all these cancellations in march i think because remember the early part of the season it was pretty good Everything was kind of going along okay. And then two-thirds of the way through the season, halfway through the season, all of a sudden these games are, are you know, falling like dominoes. And you kind of look back and it you didn't quite get it in the moment, but now it's obvious what was happening. Players were like, ah, fuck it, I don't care. You know, we're not going anywhere. We're not making the playoffs. We're, our, our team sucks. And so they were 
not being careful anymore, especially because college kids know that there's about a 99.9% chance that even if they get COVID, it's not going to do anything to them. Obvious exceptions, you know, there are players who who had hit hard, but most of them are probably like, whatever, I don't care. So that's what happened. You had all these teams that didn't really care, and they started getting COVID left and right, and they all had to drop. The teams that were in, in into it, engaged, that wanted to have the season, kept at it. The Jacks have continued. You know, I wrote that column about it a couple weeks ago, and I got a bunch of angry emails and tweets from Jacks fans saying, "You're jinxing them! How could you write that, you idiot?" But they're still they're still fine. They're not getting any <laughs> any positive cases because the players give a shit. They want yeah. to do this right, and. Uh, we're going to get through this entire playoff tournament with all the, getting all the games in. And uh, I didn't think that was probably going to happen. I thought we were going to have a cancellation or two, a forfeit, whatever. Yeah. And uh, the fact that we didn't, and then you throw in that, like I said, you know, I've said before, it's not like any of the heavyweights weren't there. You know, North Dakota state was there. James Madison was there. Jacksonville state, Sam Houston yes. state, the Jacks, you know, five teams from the Valley, I mean, who was missing? The Big Sky. Okay, fine. The Big Sky isn't that good anymore. Weaver State went undefeated and then got beat by Southern Illinois. So, yep. you know, bite, bite me, Big, sweat, big yeah. Sky. Yeah. Um, I, and I think all those things put together, this season's always going to be weird. I mean, if you want to say asterisk or whatever, just for that reason, that's fine. But to say that the Jacks aren't a legitimate champion, or, or Sam Houston State, who, whoever ends up winning the game on Saturday, Sunday, that they're not a legitimate champion, I you know, I don't even give that a little bit of credence. That is 100% false. It, whoever wins is a legitimate yeah. FCS football champion. Yep. And, you know, I at the beginning, I, I said, I'm, I'm not really into this. It feels weird. The kind of things we were saying were, and this is not just the Jacks, but just having any of this FCS football this spring. Felt weird. No, Americans do not want or crave football year-round. It's a nice thing to say, but it's been proven over and over again. It dies. Do not be true. It dies in the spring when you talk about the World League of American Football or the USFL, which Donald Trump kind of subterfuged, but it was, you know, it wasn't. Those stadiums weren't full. And, um... Uh, of course, the you know the latest incarnations of the XFL and whatever that AAF was. Yeah, we don't. And and Jack and Jackrabbit fans voted with their uh, butts as well. They weren't they weren't in the seats. They weren't paying for the tickets and going to the games. And some day some of those games you can recall were kind of cold and not worth being at. But anyway, uh, so that so that was an easy early thought and depiction of the whole thing. When you don't have the crowds there, but were these guys playing at half speed? No. And right. when you're talking about when we started to have some teams drop like flies, were those you're, you're you're saying? Well, a lot of those teams were the ones that didn't give a shit. Well, you know what? It the teams that didn't give a shit weren't worth a shit. These were not teams that were going to compete for the national title anyway. That's what you mean by weeding out. It's not just the teams that aren't good at avoiding COVID. They're the ones that knew they weren't going to win and didn't have and didn't have much to gain from playing anyway. The ones that did that had you just said were the, were the usual suspects in the powerhouses. That included North Dakota State. Yeah, they lost Trey Lance, and they you know they lost I, I, I uh, what was it a top three round lineman as well? Is he talking about fiber? No, he's not. <laughs> uh, you know they they lost the number three overall pick, and I think a second round pick that was blocking for him. So I mean yep. that's legitimate, and yeah, they'll probably be better in the fall. 
But again, if the Bison win the if the Bison were to have won the national title, they would have uh, beaten SDSU in that final week of the season, or wh- whatever path they would take to go to Frisco, and all their fans would go to Frisco, probably just as many as always do for the national title game. They would not be saying this is a silly season. So, and for me personally, who thought I'm not that into it, and yeah, we're not going to play as many games, and uh, come on, what are we doing here? This is not. A, it, it isn't the same as the fall, but as the games have gone on and as I have watched and been more interested as the stakes have gotten higher, uh, I watched every second of, uh, of that semifinal Saturday with the Jacks and then with that, uh, that shootout of a James Madison-Sam Houston stake game. That was a classic. It did not seem anybody was playing half-ass or at half-speed or that the football looked any different from what it would look like in the fall or the atmosphere right. at these games right. were any different. It felt like I, I, I for, while I was watching the games that afternoon, I forgot that it was May. It, it might as well have been November. So, I mean, so sometimes your mind and your take, your opinion, your spin changes with more data when you start paying attention. And as things have gone along, uh, I've gone, yeah, this is this is all legit and there will be zero asterisk needed or uh, attached to, to whoever wins the game on Saturday. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't think – I mean, and to be fair, you know, I myself was – I was never like this season is fake or this is stupid or we shouldn't do it. Um, but I, you know, after the Jacks had what three games in a row canceled, I think I tweeted uh, this season is circling the drain. Yeah. Uh, meaning that I, I thought it was probably not going to make it. And uh, you know, I wasn't covering the team as aggressively then just because it was like, you know, is it worth it to put that much energy into this when it's just going to get the rugs going to get pulled out from under us? Like it seemed, I remember having a meeting with a couple of my bosses where we were talking about, coverage and i was like we, we all sort of agreed like this is going to end at any moment so you know let's be prepared for that we, we every every week we had to have like two different plans for our week of coverage like okay here's what we're going to do if there's football but here's what we're probably really going to end up doing when there isn't football and uh that sucked that was kind of stressful i didn't enjoy mm. that but um high school track you know but, <laughs> but uh yeah that almost makes Dakota me a spring football every year, yeah. <laughs> um, but like like you said, I mean, w- once they kind of got through that and weeded out the teams that weren't, you know, didn't care enough to, to be careful, it's been pretty good lately, and it's kind of I, – I, I think you said it pretty well. Like, it, it doesn't – you don't watch these games and go, like, well, this isn't what football looks like in the fall, or, you know, this team wouldn't be doing this in a regular season, or this – you know, it, it looks just like regular football. And uh, I think the general consensus from – the national audience that, you know, there was a little bit of a hope that maybe even the regular season would get some national attend- attention because it was the only football going on, but people kind of forgot that there's still basketball and hockey and baseball and all that stuff going on. So that didn't really happen. Uh, but now that the playoffs have started and there has been a national audience for this and people are tuning in a little bit, I mean, I'm sure there's a few detractors out there, but for the most part, you know, you scan social media, you watch ESPN, you know, you read whatever, like, the consensus is like, hey, this is awesome. This is great football. These games are fun to watch. Uh, there's nobody saying like, Jesus, what is this FCS football shit? This is a joke. There's nobody, literally nobody saying that. Um, and, you know, that's partly a credit to this level of football and how good it has always been to those of us who know and follow it. But also I think, you know, I mean, even, you know, Mike McFeely, I don't think he was ever out of line in anything that he wrote no. or said. But he's 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 backed off. I mean, he hasn't really continued to hammer it home. I, I haven't heard him say anything like, 
oh, well, whoever ends up winning this is going to be a fake champion. I, you know, I, I think he was well within his rights to say, you know, this isn't going well. Why don't they just cancel it? Whatever. I didn't necessarily agree with that, but I could see where he was coming from. Sure. But I think he also sees, too, that once he got to the playoffs, it was like, hey, these teams are actually, you know, putting in the work to get this done. And as you and I have talked about, like all the major, all the key players are there. You know, it's, it's, it's not like, you know, one of the usual suspects is missing. And as such, you know, this it, it sucks that the crowds aren't as big and, and people have basically taken until now to kind of get fully invested. But other than that, it, it hasn't felt a lot different. And uh, that's cool. That's why the, these this playoff run has been more fun than I honestly anticipated it to be. And, uh, you know, it, it, <laughs> I'm definitely looking forward to getting – I like just sort of the rhythm of football season, you know. Uh, it starts in the summer when it's scorching hot out mm. and you're going to practice and it's a thousand degrees. And then you're covering a couple games in September where it's hot and it's nice out. And then it kind of moves into the fall and you've got, you know, Halloween and the leaves and the crisp autumn air. Yep. And then you get to, if you, if they make the playoffs, which the Jacks always do, you get to Thanksgiving weekend and there's, you know, the playoffs are starting up and if things go well enough, you maybe get to see some games in snow and cold and, you know, those are the things I love about the, the sport of football at any level, whether it's high school, college, pro, whatever. Uh, and so I miss that, and I'm excited to get back to that in this coming fall. Uh, but this has been pretty cool. And for as much as a lot of us were skeptical of it, uh, it has kind of, you know, found a rhythm or hit its stride yeah. or, or, or finished strong, however you want to say it. And, and like I said, all these playoff games have happened, and most of them have been great games. I think – Whoever, however skeptical you could be, I think you have to admit uh, these playoffs have been pretty good. Yes, what a lyrical poet! You should hang out with Ron uh, Bacardi every time. Every time we do this, you should just do it before. Yeah, we, you should do it before you write too. Um, I'm hanging out with uh, Cano Bliss, by the way, Cano Bliss IPA. Um, so you, you know, what? just drink a fucking Miller Lite, jeez. Uh, you know what? I am. Ba- <laughs> it's funny how you say that because, uh, well, first of all, I did when I golfed with you last week on a on a That's warm true. That's true. That's on a true. warm summer's you day. Said, you said you're going to get a six pack of Budweiser, and then you came back with a Miller Lite. That's because they didn't have any Budweiser there. They were out of Budweiser. Imagine that. <laughs> <laughs> no, they told me. No, of course, like every place else in South Dakota and the Midwest, on the, and on the lame planet Earth, uh, Bud Light is like you know is the is the first one to usually go, and they don't usually like. But Bud, Bud Heavy was not their most their hottest item, but whatever they had of it, they they forgot to reorder some. Anyway, uh, I'm I'm kind of getting out of my IPA phase. A little bit. It's summer. You can't drink that shit in the summer. Yeah, that's very true. And plus, uh, yeah, I, it's almost I, summer. I don't want to, you know, you may as well call, I, I don't know how else to say this, you may as well call IPAs man boob juice, the same way our friend Greg calls uh, donuts man boob pills. I mean, it's, it's you know, it's it's very enjoyable and tastes great, but um, yeah, uh, and I, I'm, um, so I, I still love IPAs, but I'm kind of getting to Saison's more. And every now and then, like I was over with um, with Gilbert's ex-wife's uh, ha- house family, our Brady Bunch, uh, the kid's other stepdad. We were all celebrating Mother's Day with Jenny, his ex-wife. We have a great family. We're just hanging out, playing games and bullshitting on Saturday night. Had a great meal. And uh, whereas, so Jenny drinks Blue Moon 
And Chris, her husband, the other stepdad, drinks Bush Light. He's a good old country boy, drinks Bush Light. And I, you know, for the last several years, I've been like, fuck that. That's like drinking water. Screw that. I'll just, I'll have Jenny's Blue Moon. I'll bring my own IPA. This time I just had the Bush Light. I just, you know, drank what uh, what beer tasted like when I was 18 years old and what I thought of it as and nothing more, nothing less. And, uh, of course, I guess the happy medium is Budweiser, right? A, be- a beer beer that isn't like water. I, I mean, I wouldn't use the word medium, but, you know, whatever. <laughs> All right. Um, like, I get, like, being a beer snob is cool, whatever, and I like some of those beers once in a while, too, but... You know, you go golfing all the time in the summer. I, you know, am outside constantly. Like, I just, when it's 99 degrees yeah. out, like, someone wants to drink a freaking coffee beer. Like, no, come on. nobody does. No, I actually like the, I, I like That's the, what those beers exist for. I like the Natty Light Natter. Also, sometimes, also, sometimes I want, I want to drink like 27 of them in a row. And you <laughs> right. can't do that with, you know. No, you don't want to move uh, when that happens. Um, I like the Natty Lights, the uh, the Saturdays that have a little, they do infuse these light beers with a little, um, you know, the little fruit flavor, just a little fruit flavor, uh, not full-blown summer shandy or anything like that. I like summer shandies on the kayak as well, but uh, yes, I'm kind of weaning myself, because you know what you know what you realize sometimes is some of those beers are basically fruit juice. You might as yeah. well, but you might as well be drinking the White Claws and... Uh, <laughs> I love, I love, this is where I'm, I'm glad to have a podcast where we can drink and curse a little bit. So, and uh, 40 minutes deep, we'll get back to this Jack's national title talk in a moment, but our 21 year old Ethan and everything screams about him like prime of his life, man, he's like six, three, he's trying to keep up with a 17 year old uh, brother who's in sports and uh, trying to outlift him. So, you know, he's, but he came home with, um, uh, to to our get together on Saturday with a six pack of Trulies, which are uh, you know like white <laughs> white claws, same thing, and it, but it's like fruit punch. <laughs> and and Chris, the Bush Light drinker, he just, so Ethan, and again Ethan's tall, brawny, big, athletic. You don't want to mess with him. Puts his Trulies down. He's splitting this with his girlfriend. Granted, but uh, the first thing Chris says is, "So do you just in, do you just that inject?" <laughs> Do you just inject that straight into your vagina or what? <laughs> this was in front of everybody, uh, the whole crowd, whole crowd, grandma, grandpa, everybody, and everybody laughed hysterically. So yeah, and you know the you know my follow up was yes, they, uh, they these things should come with straws. So anyway, that's good. So that's just a matter of how you define beer. So. Uh, and what it is to you. It's different things to different people in different phases of their life. Uh, all right. So, by the way, I don't know if they have Trulies, but I know they have Budweiser on tap and IPAs and everything in between at the Gateway Lounge, where it will be real and spectacular. The Jackrabbits playing for a national title on Sunday uh, with a 1 p.m. kickoff. I'm sure the Gateway will be open at about 11 a.m., get the Bloody Marys going. Pizza, Chislick, wings, full menu, friendly staff, and uh, they've been they've been accommodating to the Jack fans and creating a great atmosphere there every week. I just might have to go because I'm not going to be in Frisco like you. Um, I'll get back to that question I asked earlier uh, before we really lock down on the matchups with uh, explosive Sam Houston State. 
This is the team at, at South Dakota State that has gone the furthest, for sure. We just went through all the nuance, once again, of uh, the weirdness of the season and the path to get there, which is different from most, but still feels legitimate. Is this is but is this really the best South Dakota State team when you you know I guess when you go to talent or just when you watch them that there has been or there have there been some teams in the past ten years that just didn't quite get here for whatever reason that were better. You know, I don't think they are, um, and I don't mean that. I don't know. I mean, they, what do they, they care? They're going they, to Frisco. It's, it's no, I just, I, I know I'm not worried about like offending anyone. I just, you know, Taryn Christian and Jake Winicky and Dallas Goddard and Christian Rosaboom and Jacob Onasorgi and on and on and on and on. Those guys were all on the same fucking team. That team was loaded. Yeah. Uh, and I'm talking about the team that lost James Madison in Virginia. Yeah. Uh, got, and got killed, obviously, but. So you look at that score and go, oh, 51-16, they were overmatched. They got killed. They really weren't. Um, they got the ball first and went right down the field and were about to score. And Brady Mangarelli, the running back, I'm not blaming him. He got hit kind of a, a – he didn't see a defender coming, and the guy just destroyed him. And Brady Mangarelli's 5'2 and 110 pounds. So he just isn't equipped to take a hit like that. The guy drills him. He fumbles. James Madison recovers. The Jacks turned it over five times in the first quarter and were still only down 7 nothing. Um, they were absolutely capable of competing with that team. But after that fumble on their first drive, it all just kind of went to shit. And, yeah, Taron Christian didn't have a great game, but even he wasn't as bad as the statistics make it look. Um, you know, a couple big plays before half by James Madison just kind of – I mean, I, I just think the Jacks, after so many turnovers, they just couldn't really – mentally sort of get their shit together or whatever they got killed 51 16 is 51 16 uh but i still think that the jacks were very capable of winning that game i believe they were like one or two point favorites it's not like they you know they went into that game as huge underdogs or anything that team was really really good um i know it was before my time covering the team so i i didn't see the actual games really but i think it was zach zenner's junior year or maybe it was his senior year. I'm not sure. The year they lost to North Dakota State in the quarterfinals, a game where they had them, uh, and Bison won it in the last minute, something, and they went on to win the national championship. But yeah. the, the Jacks probably would have been the ones to go on to win the national championship if they had won that game. Um, and we've just seen over the – you know, that was kind of when Zenner and Sumner were there and some other guys, I obviously, like I said, wasn't as familiar with the, the entire roster. But that when those guys got there, that was when they kind of took that next step or, or moved up to that sort of, if not the upper echelon, the second tier at least of like, okay, it's no longer like, oh, I hope we make the playoffs. It's like, no, make the playoffs every single year and hope to play for the national championship. And once they sort of got to that level, in large part because of people like Zenner and Sumner and some other guys, um, that's when they were able to, you know, New stadium, the S-Jack, make huge changes in recruiting. There were some changes in the coaching staff. And you've just been able to tell over the you know five, six years that I've been covering the team that they're, they're definitely trying to win every game, trying to win every year in the short term. But you've also been able to sense that they're definitely playing the long game, You know that it's like we need to build this thing. And they've, to some degree, been emulating 
uh, North Dakota State. You know, like, yeah, it's great to have awesome skill players, but you have to have depth and you have to be awesome at the line of scrimmage. You have to have a terrific offensive line and a terrific defensive line. And that doesn't just mean having, you know, a good left tackle. That means all five guys are good. That means having six, seven, eight defensive linemen who are starting caliber dudes. Um, you know, the, just the... It's, it's hard for me to say, I guess, that the, this Jacks team is better than that one from two, three years ago. Um, but they might be just because they're so much deeper. Just because, you know, the worst guy on the team is probably a lot better than whoever the worst guy on the team was four years ago, you know? I mean, there's just so much more uh, overall talent, yeah. so much depth. There might not be the same star power. Yeah. You know, I, I'm not ready to say that Mark Gronowski is better than any of those other guys, Taron Christian, Austin Sumner's, even Zach Luhan. Um, but you surround him with the kind of people that, that surrounded him with, you know, Pierre Strong, Isaiah Davis, they might not be better than Zach Zenner, but they're close and there's two of them, you know, and then you just throw in how much better they are, uh, you know, offensive line, defensive line, the defense as a whole, they might have the best defense in FCS football this year. Uh, I, I do think this is probably the best defense they've had ever, and it's the best offensive line they've ever had ever. So maybe that's all it takes. You know, you have the best defense you've ever had, the best old line you've ever had. Then yeah, that that makes it a lot easier to you know if if Taron Christian was playing on this team, Dallas Goddard, Jake Winicky, Zach Zenner, any of those guys, they'd just be that much better because they'd have you know a, mm. a, a better supporting cast. Yeah, well, and I know the Jacks have beaten NDSU in the regular season three of the last five years. But I think two of those years, uh, 2016 and 2017, uh, they lost to the – no, they lost to the Bison in the quarterfinals in 2016 at the semifinals in like 18 or 19. But, uh, yeah, line, 18, yeah, line of scrimmage was a difference. You know, it that was – I think that was a big difference, especially when you go back to 2016 where they won with that star power. Uh, and granted, they controlled the ball for a lot of that 2016 game in the Fargo Dome and where they drove down and got the uh, – the uh, Christian. Yeah, they should have won that game by two scores. Yeah, but also, and, and it was funny. I was having this conversation with Jason Eck a couple weeks ago. He's like, you know, we won that game, and it was awesome. And Taron played great. With and you know, we were able to to use his running, scrambling ability. But he more or less said like we had to use some smoke and mirrors. You know, yeah. we had to we had to isolate some matchups because they were better than us. Yeah. And uh, then he was and he was saying that. In in c- contrasting it with this year, where he said it was uh, it was actually the opposite. He said they they after that game, go, looking back at the film, they're like, wow, that's what NDSU was doing. You know, they were the ones who kind of had to try and hmm. oh hey, we have to maybe you know try some different stuff, try and isolate some certain matchups because guess what, Jackson more physical than we are. They're yeah. better than us up front, and yeah. that you know three hundred five to ninety seven, that was the rushing yards of that game. The Jacks got to be the Bison that day, essentially, yeah. and say, "We're just gonna, you know, fuck you. We're gonna kick your ass. Yeah. We're gonna run it, run it right at you, and we're gonna dominate you." And the Bison were the ones who were like, "Shit, if we're gonna win this, we're gonna have to get cute because we don't have what we don't have the muscle to beat you guys up front." Right. So it's yeah. So there's more punch, uh, better up front, more complete, deeper. That's partly how they've gotten here. Uh, Stiegelmeyer in his post game interview, you know, they asked him, "You've been saying this team is different." Uh, and that's why you believe in them, that they, they can finally break through. And what did you mean by that? And he said, well, it's because – I'm pretty sure he said chemistry. Like, there's, there's 
there's more of that one of those corny cliche sports things that they all believe in one another and uh, they're just tighter as a unit and uh, to him that's what at least that's what he meant by this team is different I don't know if that means that that's the yeah. absolute X factor in finally reaching a national title game but uh, that's what he means by when he says this team is different from some of the others and certainly there's part of that that goes a long way here's the other one for me is uh, you know Lou Holtz uh, for all of his warts, uh, I, I always go back to him when I think of championship runs and championship seasons. It's um, you got to have some luck. Things have to bounce your way. Every Almost every team that does that lucks out once or twice. Has the ball actually bounced their way? Or as Lou Holtz would say, some teams just like bouncing it and the ball bounce your way. It's like some big part of championships. Um so, I, you know, I, I don't know where you can find the luck in this season, but it's been nice that, indeed, North Dakota State, ask any North Dakota State fan, uh, and I think some of the things that you just mentioned, they're just not as good as they've usually been, period. And, uh, and that's, that's nothing that the Jacks have to apologize for uh, or, again, need a, need, therefore need to put an asterisk next to this everything they've accomplished and could accomplish. That's just the fact that they finally kind of caught North Dakota State on what has been a down season for them. Uh, that's, you know, that's one element, and um, I don't know what else. I mean, they earned that comeback win over Southern Illinois, but uh, they, you know, there were certainly a couple key plays and moments in that game where I think we can all look back and say, yeah, the Salukis could have easily won that game. But the Jacks had some things go their way, and then they made plays. Like, Do you think that's part of it as well? Like, it's just been kind of... Um, you know, an advantageous run for them, and they, you know, they they finally got home playoff games and nothing but home playoff games. But they earned well, that too. So, oh, absolutely. I mean, there's yeah. a couple of things. There's there's no question that NDSU not being as good is a part of why we're we're all here. You know, they got beat by Sam Sam Houston State too. You know yeah. that that you know is, is part of it. Uh, and yeah, but that's the thing. The home field advantage, like it's yeah, like oh, they made it because they had home field advantage. But that's been part of the problem with the Jacks. They, there have been, we've talked about it. They've beat NDSU during the regular season multiple times. The problem was the years that they did that, they also lost to someone else enough times that they couldn't get that home field advantage. You know, I think it was 2016. They lost to fucking Cal Poly at home. Yeah. I mean, Cal, Cal Poly doesn't suck, but I mean, like, it's, it's like, come on, you got national championship aspirations and you're losing at home to a triple option team from the big sky like that. You just can't do that, you know? And then I think it was 17, maybe they lost to Youngstown state. Uh, there was a loss to Northern Iowa in, it, again, it's hard to keep the numbers straight, especially in my current state, but um, <laughs> there's just always a couple of regular season yeah. losses that it, it's not even that they're necessarily bad losses. Like these are all pretty good teams they're losing to, but if you're going to be North Dakota state, you know, they don't do that. You know, at most, North Dakota State loses a game. You know, when they lost to the Jacks at uh, the Dyke House in, I think it was 2018. Yeah. Um, I remember Chris Kleiman, the coach for the Bison, after the game, like the North Dakota media was like kind of hammering him, like, oh my God, how'd you lose a game? What's the matter with you? And he, he was kind of like, guys, we're going to lose a fucking game once in a while, okay? <laughs> like, SDSU is good. Yeah. And this is at their home field. Like, relax. We're not going to go a thousand and oh, we're going to lose a game once in a while. Yeah. But that's sort of the point. Is like they lose a game and people freak out. 
Whereas the Jacks, okay, you beat the Bison, but then you still ended up eight and three, you know, or nine and two or whatever. Yeah. That's not, that's not good enough. If yeah. you beat the Bison, in theory, you should go undefeated because yes. you're not going to play anyone better than that. Yeah, you know, maybe you lose one other game. You know, FBS games being a separate thing, but that's been the problem. You could they they can get up to this big game and and win the Dakota Marker game, but then there's one or two other games where they essentially choke, and and that's what keeps them, you know, forces them to go on the road in the playoffs. And so often the FCS would set up the bracket where the Jacks would have to go through Fargo to get to the championship just because the FCS, they don't care about anything. So just, you know, what, how can we save money? You know, keep travel down, whatever. Like, because yeah. FCS football is not a priority for the NCAA. So, you know, every year in Selection Sunday, you got all these pissed off Jacks fans and, and pissed off players and coaches. It's like, well, guess what? If you'd have beat Youngstown State, you wouldn't have had to worry about it. And uh, that's yeah. the difference this year. I mean, obviously they lost that game to North Dakota, a game they shouldn't have lost, as as I've said many times before. They they beat themselves that day. Uh, but after they lost that game, you know, they got it together and have now won seven in a row. Um, and it, it they just this year's team didn't do what the other teams have done. Yeah, they almost did. You know, yeah. they almost lost at home to Youngstown, and Youngstown was shitty this year. Mm-hmm. Um, but but they found to, a yeah, and almost lost to Southern Illinois in the quarters, which would yeah, have been just yeah. uh, heartbreaking. They found a they yeah. found a way to get it done, and that's the difference. And and they and got now here they are here they are. And you know, you could say maybe they got a little fortune. I was thinking it at the time when on the on the bone crushing hit they made. I mean, Delaware's quarterback Henderson was kind of dancing that ball down the field. The, the, he had a couple third down and medium, you know, four or five yard conversions with his own scrambling ability on that. Uh, the the hen's second drive of the game, it's scoreless. It's like he's a baby. And uh, uh, he and then they finally got to him and sacked him and then injured him uh, on, on the play that. Uh, that led to a mere field goal. Their only points of the game, but it kind of. And by the way, that was uh, originally a, a fumble, and the Jacks got the ball back, and they totally took the air out of their sails um, by turning them over after eight minutes. Yeah, and kind of should have been a could have been a shutout. Yeah, uh, yeah, I didn't think of that. And you know, and for a while, their backup had to come in, and after that point, the Jacks had already taken the ball and gone down and scored and gotten the momentum. But, you know, for a little bit, I'm thinking, oh, gosh, the narrative might be here is that kid. Uh, yeah, he did come back in and play, but, you know, they got their big break because Delaware's all, not all world, but really damn good quarterback yeah. got hurt. But but even Trevor Maddich, who's a totally neutral party, he was the studio analyst for this game and, you know, spends most of his time uh, analyzing uh, the big boy football games, the power mm-hmm. five football games. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's, you know, he has no dog in this fight. And he said the guy is hurt because they couldn't block for him because SDSU's pass rush was too yep. lethal. And this was going to happen. That's partly how quarterbacks get hurt is because the other team's, uh, uh, you know, front is, uh, is better than your offensive line and it's going to get you hurt. So they earned it. And then they just kept doing it the rest of the game. Uh, and so, and therefore that's what we could finally lead us into this Sam Houston game for the national championship uh, because, wow, that was a – I'm sure you were writing your story. That James Madison-Sam Houston game was just a blast to watch because for a while, uh, JMU is killing him on the road. Sam Houston State apparently has the nickname Soft Houston State. They're a lot like the Jackrabbits in that they're one of the best five or ten teams every year. Find a way to just kind of slip on the banana peel or just don't have what it takes in the playoffs, and this is their first title game in nine years. And, um, but 
yeah, I, the first game I've watched of them, they clearly are a more pass uh, or and speed-oriented team. They can burn you with big plays. That's exactly how they were able to come from 24 down uh, to win a national semifinal. They had 28 points in five minutes from end of third to uh, the first couple Ooh. minutes of the fourth quarter. I mean, and it was on an 80-yard touchdown pass. Same guy who caught that, I think his name is Ezard, uh, had a 69-yard yep. punt return. And these guys just have some athletes. So if their quarterback, uh, who's really good, Schmid, who was terrible in the first half, JMU got to him. Uh, if the Jacks can get to him the way they got to the Delaware quarterback, then you're in business. But if they can't, then uh, yeah, it could be a long day, and it could be a JM. It could be a JMU a- ambush from 2017 because the big play can happen any time. But it feels like the Jacks do have more substance to them, and therefore, to me, should be the favorite if they can just can control the ball in the line of scrimmage. Well, I think they're definitely the favorite. Um, you know, they kind of. <laughs> Any any doubts about you know Missouri Valley versus CAA? I think we're kind of answered uh, in the semifinals. Yeah, I mean it's obvious the Jacks. You know they played some really good teams this year, uh, but so is Sam Houston State, and especially now in consecutive weeks they beat North Dakota State and James Madison, the number two and number one teams in the country, or, or not according to the rankings, but I mean like the the two kind of top teams in the FCS hierarchy, I guess you would say. And maybe both clearly NDSU's a little down this year. Maybe James Madison was too, even though they were undefeated. Uh, but that still is pretty impressive. I think they beat five ranked teams this year. Um, maybe they are a different Sam Houston team than than what we've seen before. Um, but you know, <laughs> the, the way the Jacks have 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 earned their their spot here, I, I definitely think they're the favorite. Um, the, the the interesting thing to me about James Madison, or excuse me, Sam Houston State, the passing game is is their strength, and I, you know, we talked about this earlier. Uh, I said on this podcast last week and the Jacks Illustrated podcast that I don't think SDSU's pass defense is that good. Um, they heard it. They took some exception to it. Jimmy Rogers gave me some shit about it. Um, and so I I kind of you know when I recognized that. Uh, that had maybe rubbed some people the wrong way, or at least got their attention. I kind of rethought it. I was like, "Am I, you know, am I wrong? Am I, am I being too hard on them about it?" And and uh, I know Josh Manchigaya, one of their safeties, who leads the uh, conference in interceptions, uh, said, "Well, you know, you know, Southern Illinois did a lot of stuff we weren't prepared for, and there've been some trick plays, and you know, we we spent the whole week preparing for one thing and kind of saw another." Um, you know, my, my contention has been that they just haven't really faced that many good quarterbacks this year. Cause, uh, the, the Valley this year just had a lot of new and young quarterbacks. They didn't have all those good dudes they've had before. So it's hard to say. And, you know, Delaware, the, the pass rush killed him. But at one point I think Henderson was like 13 for 13, you know, he was completing his passes. He ended the game 18 for 21. That's almost 90%. Yeah. So I think the jury is still out a little bit, you know? I mean, they, yeah, they, they dominated the game, almost shut them out, had seven sacks, but they still gave up 90% almost completion percentage. Uh, and, and Sam Houston State's going to be better. You know, they have a really good passing attack. They have a coach, Casey Keeler, who's been around forever. Uh, has usually He won a national championship at Delaware. You know, he's put together some good offenses before. I'm really intrigued to see how that plays out because uh, the Jacks defense played very well against Delaware. But I don't feel necessarily like their secondary, their 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 defense as a whole, like prove that oh anyone who thinks they can't defend the pass was wrong. Like maybe, 
I mean, they played well. They, they you know, like I said, the the seven sacks and only giving up three points, you know, that's awesome. And and you could see just the the speed and the energy the defense played with. They came out with a chip on their shoulder and, and were really, really impressive. Um, but again, they're going to be tested. Uh, this is going to be a good passing attack. This is a good team. You saw what they did to James Madison. Um, that's that's going to be really interesting. It's going to be Sam Houston's strength against, I don't want to say SDSU's weakness. Maybe yeah. maybe I was, you know, too hard on them and saying, oh, these guys aren't good at defending the pass. Yeah. Uh, but they've been vulnerable. They've certainly been vulnerable. So that'll be interesting to watch. Well, yeah, I mean, Southern Illinois had 460 total yards, I mean, on them. Yeah. Uh, and 314 through the air, so yeah. it's a it's a it's a legitimate concern. That's exactly what I was thinking as I was watching this: is uh, that Sam Houston's weakness plays right in, or strength plays right into SDSU's weakness. So uh, that's what make should make it a very compelling game. Frisco, Texas, for the national title. Finally, SDSU is there. And I'll leave this podcast on. Well, first of all, do you have any other matchup notes as of now? Any. Anything you'd like to add? Any anticipation for how a particular Jackrabbit player or unit can or should or will play? I mean, I haven't done a ton of breaking it the matchup down yeah. yet. That's the one, that's the big thing I'm interested in right now is how you know Sam Houston's passing attack sure. against SDSU's defense does. Yeah. Um, obviously, Sam Houston's going to have their hands full with the Jacks trying to make it a, a physical game with their running attack, with their offensive line. And again, this isn't necessarily the same Sam Houston, soft Houston from the Southland right. conference we've seen before, whatever. But I remember the last time I think they played NDSU in the playoffs before this year. Hmm. I believe it was the semifinals. And that was when the Bison were loaded and had their physical, you know, offensive line, defensive line dominance sort of thing. And they just absolutely piss pounded them. I mean, just embarrassed hmm. them. Uh, so I think. Again, not saying Sam. This is that kind of Sam Houston team, but if they're not able to play a physical football game, and the Jacks are able to build a lead, I don't care how good Sam Houston's passing attack is. That's not going to bode well for them. Right, and uh, they they there's some blueprints there all over that first half where JMU took a twenty-seven to three lead. Schmid, the SM Sam, whatever Sam Houston quarterback. Whatever, yeah. Uh, yeah. He, uh, I mean, he threw an interception on a screen pass just because they forced him. <laughs> they forced him just a little bit out of his comfort zone, just to forced him to slide a little bit to the right, and the throw was off balance, and it got tipped on a screen pass, and uh, was intercepted for I think it was like a twenty yard return. So yeah, that's a major component of that game is the uh, SDSU pass rush, uh, which was sensational against Delaware. All right, um, are, are you bold enough to make any prediction? You kind of hinted that. Uh, they think SDSU is the favorite, so I'm gonna go Jacks 31-20. Yeah, boy, I think it could get a little saucier than that if they control the ball well. If they maintain the time of possession, then yeah, they can hold Sam Houston to 20. That makes a lot of sense. I'd like to think that's what's gonna happen. Um, I, you know, I'd be a little bit afraid of a shootout. Have you seen the over/under? I haven't looked at it yet. Sorry, Monday not, night. I, have I haven't. We're, I have not, we're lazy. Yeah, no. Sorry. No, who's listening at this point anyway? Sixty-five minutes in, we haven't done our. <laughs> we haven't looked at the line. We haven't looked at the over/under. Uh, yeah, have we been talking for sixty-five minutes. Yeah, we have. Amazing what Bacardi okay. can do. It makes time fly. I was going to say that. That means I'm definitely drunk because usually at this point <laughs> you're like, I'm like, Jesus, shut up, John, let's go. Can you get God. this over with? Yeah, yeah. Um, so I. Uh, I don't know. I'll go. If I have to say anything right now, I'll say thirty. Uh, 
25 to 27, a little higher scoring, same general margin. Um, and then, so let's say the Jacks do win it. We brought this up today when we were being uh, adults and, um, and, and good, well-behaved good boys on, on the radio uh, where we trimmed a lot of the fat that we've been doing on this podcast. <laughs> uh, so the, uh, first of all, the ESPN crew of Matt Barry and uh, Mike Golick Jr. I thought they were great. I thought it took a little while for them to get warmed up. They seemed bored by the first couple of drives, but they were so much better researched than the yin yangs that uh, that called the quarterfinal game against Southern Illinois. It wasn't even yeah, close. I didn't like, hear good things about those guys. Oh, the, uh, Barry and Golick are the guys before them. Before, yeah. well, Barry and Golick are pros. I mean, like Barry's their one of their main college football guys on ESPN, right. as far as studio guys go. And uh, everybody knows Mike Golick Jr. And um, he's like his dad. He's he's good on the. I think he's pretty solid on the radio. He's a really good analyst during games. They had clearly done their homework. And anyway, and then they, you know, they became pretty entertaining after a while when they had they had to go to their blowout material. And part of that was. Uh, they focused on, they just had to have a little segment on Jimmy Rogers, the co-defensive coordinator and how he was, uh, uh, could probably could have gone to a smaller division two school, but Stiegelmeyer convinced him to go to SDSU. This was 10 or 15 or whatever years ago, uh, a 64% scholarship. And for some reason, Rogers just wanted to be a jackrabbit and uh, wanted to do anything and everything he could. And I don't know how prolific of a career he had, but he made an impression enough on Stiegelmeyer that he hired him on his staff. And He was very good. Okay, thank yeah. you. And here he is, a co-DC, and he's had a chance to leave for FBS jobs, as has Jason Eck, the offensive coordinator. Uh, they've both stayed, A, because I'm sure they want to win a national title, B, because I'm sure they both think may, they'd be good candidates to take over, and it's no secret Stiegelmeyer's in like the third year of his five, last five-year deal that he signed, and... He wanted to stay aboard until at least he won a national title. He's been saying those words for a few years now. All right, so he does it, and uh, he still has a couple years left. Uh, on that ESPN broadcast, they mentioned how they asked Stiegelmeyer, is uh, Jimmy Rogers the kind of guy you had turned uh, the program over to, the keys to the program? And 100% is exactly what Stiegelmeyer said. So uh, you know, he's obviously willing to talk about his life after his career. Well, could that come? Uh, after a win in Frisco on Sunday, and if it does, then who would you perceive as to be the front runners to replace him? I mean, Jimmy would certainly be on my short list. Um, I don't know if Justin Sell looks at this as a must promote from within thing or not. I mean, it would be an incredibly attractive job, so it would certainly there would be good reason. To at least open it up to a national search. Uh, yeah. But, by the way, just to drop this in, the the dude, the coach at Sam Houston State won a national title at Delaware. I, don't I know said that was, like ten minutes ago. You obviously weren't listening to me. Fine. Um, <laughs> I wasn't. Not at that moment. <laughs> um, yeah, he's kind of a. I've listened to ninety-eight percent of what you said today. That was the two percent. He's kind of like a. I don't know if comparing him to John Calipari would be right, but he's like he's like kind of a dude that most people don't really like. This Casey Keeler. Yeah. Uh, the James um, Madison coach actually seems like a bigger dick. Just watching, they, just, they, just watching him. He 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 also is kind of yeah. not terribly okay. terribly popular, but it's got uh, that Bopliny scowl to him. Just like ah. anyway, uh, keep going. What was I talking about again? I don't know. Casey oh, Keeler, Sam the, Houston, the John Stegelmeyer, who replaces yeah, the him. Next, yeah, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> we sound like two drunk guys. Yeah, Jimmy would definitely be on the short list. I think Jason Eck would be on the short list. 
before he left, a lot of people assumed Eric Eidsness was possibly the heir apparent. Uh, Eric has been a head coach at Southwest Minnesota State where he, he didn't have a great record, but that was also a place when he was there that was almost impossible to win. Right. He's I, widely considered to have done a pretty good job there. Yes. Um, Everybody so, that came before think, and after had the same struggles he did. Yeah. yeah. Um, he's now at the FBS level at Northern Illinois, as is Dan Jackson. Those two guys were often talked about as can- candidates for the job. Um, would they no longer be because they left and went to Northern Illinois? I don't know. I mean, I think... I don't think that helps them. I think that they left because maybe they didn't think it was going to happen or, you know, didn't want to wait for John to leave. I I don't know. Um, I think Jason Eck is head coach material. I think Jimmy Rogers is head coach material. I think almost all of them are to to some degree. I mean, some have more experience than others to where, you know, they're not ready yet or, or whatever, but it was a little interesting to me to hear that John said that. Um, now it would have been different. Like they just asked him straight up, like, would Jimmy Rogers be a good person to hand be the keys to? Like, a guy, it, yeah. yeah what's, said, they what's didn't say gonna... the guy; they said a guy. Right. They. They. It's, what's John going to say? Like, no. Yeah. I don't think he'd be a good head coach. It, it'd be different if they had said, "Who do you think on your staff is a good heir apparent?" And he said, "Jimmy Rogers." That'd be a you know a totally different thing. So I don't know how much to read into that. Um. But but I you know like I said I, I definitely think and plus you know there's a little bit of a. I don't want to say a trend necessarily because I don't know who the hell is the coach of every FCS program necessarily, but I think given that John is, you know, 64 years old and has been here for 24 years, they probably want the next guy to be a younger guy who's going to, you know, bring some, some energy into it. Not saying that, that John is, is boring or lazy or anything like that. Not at all. I mean, he's done a a tremendous job of kind of having a a patriarchal role in that program and then bringing in really great, assistant coaches to provide the other the other side of it mm-hmm. um i don't know i i don't think a lot of people have been asking me this week if i think john will retire if they win i definitely don't think he will in large part because of the spring season thing yeah. he's not going to walk out in the middle of it yeah. um and i and i don't think he's going to retire after the fall season either i think he's going to be done whenever his con- i, I should have looked it up before we went on here whenever his contract is up i think that's going to be his last contract um because I kind of got the sense that that was sort of the point in, in signing into this extension is like, okay, this gets to be your sort of last hurrah or, or victory lap. So what, you know, whether you win or whether you don't, I mean, he'll be 65 or something when it's over. And, uh, you know, once you start pushing 70, I, I mean, obviously other guys have done it. I mean, how old was Bobby Bowden when he was done? And, you know, we don't even need to mention 60s. the guy from Penn state, but, um, yeah. I just think that I think he, he told me the last time I asked him about it, which was a while ago that, uh, you know, he was not in any hurry to be done, you know, that he, he feels younger. Yeah. The job isn't as stressful as it used to be. He's got a great staff. He's happy. He loves it. Um, but also I think John is smart enough to recognize when it's time to exit gracefully and give someone else an opportunity and whether he wins the national, and if he doesn't win on Saturday or Sunday, this coming Sunday, you know, maybe that'll make him want to stick around longer, but I, I don't know if he's going to be given that opportunity because if they don't win it on Sunday, they could also be like, all right, you had your shot. You didn't get it done. It's time for someone else. Really? You think they, I mean, I no, no, that. no. I'm not saying they'd fire him. I'm yeah. saying that that would be another reason that they would say, 
your current contract is after your last okay contract. i got you yeah. Yeah. yeah well you know it's interesting because uh i i did look it up december of 2018 so that means he's in the third year you go 19 well this would actually be the second year uh, proactive to the 2020 season that this we're is in 20. now. This is the 20 right. season that we're in. Right and now. so 2021, this fall, will be his third year under that five-year contract. And you know, sometimes these things get to get extended. You know, at, at the big boy level, you always have to have at least four more years on your contract, or else it will quote unquote hurt in recruiting. But uh, I think everybody understands the situation he's in right now. Uh, it's real interesting. I hate to bring Nebraska football analogies to the table on everything, but we are talking about a national title, so I can always refer to the 90s Huskers when you talk about those things. This has a uh, – it's interesting we, you, we bring all this up because the story goes with Tom Osborne in Nebraska. Like John Stiegelmeyer, uh, first 20-plus years uh, had a – you know all of those years had a nationally elite top 10 program. Uh, I know, it's, you know Stig had to build it for a few years, but – uh, you know, Osborne did everything but win a national title. He could never win the big one. People were wondering if he was ever going to do it before he retired. Some people were wondering if he was the right man to be the head coach of the Huskers to to, to take them there, because you know he, they kept trying and they, they he couldn't do it. And then uh, he always, he kept recruiting criminals. Oh my god! Yeah, okay, yeah, a couple. <laughs> Jeez, I just wanted to throw that in. Uh, and yes, I know gratuitously, and so. The story is he had five years, uh, or he he was gonna he had a five year plan because he for some reason thought Frank so got to retain Frank Solich. Oh God, can't let Frank Solich go anywhere. The genius that is Frank Solich, and um, you know for, who for whatever reason was a really good running back and was Lawrence Phillips' running back coach, but uh, just was like he was groomed to be the next guy, and uh, and so he told he promised Frank Solich give me five more years no matter what happens national title or not. Uh, you get the job. And uh, at that point, even though Osborne hadn't won the big one, he had uh, substantial power within uh, the, the program in the university. And you know, as, as, as so, so happens, the second of those five years, no, the third of those five years, he wins a national title, then the fourth. And, uh, and in the fifth year, they, uh, you know, they finish number three in the country. They, don't, they get upset by Texas, and they don't play for the national title. And uh, that was supposed to be it, and he was going to hand it over to uh, Frank Solich. But they had such a good team coming back the next year, and uh, Jason Peter, criminal, sorry if you want to mention that, uh, and uh, Grant Wistrom, furthest thing from a criminal, academic All-American, two of the best players in college football history. They said uh, they could have been first-round draft picks, and they said we'll come back, but we want Osborne to stay. And so that's so supposedly that. So he stayed for those two, and they won a national title. And Osborne rode off into the sunset. But uh, this would have, if Stiegelmeyer were to win, it would have very much a for me to me an Osborne-like feel to it. All those years, twenty-plus years in his sixties, and finally got it. Uh, but Osborne did not retire after he got that first one. He he had planned on staying for another few more years, and so the other the other side of it you could see is that maybe John does feel like I mean, he hasn't played his hand, and he does feel like one of those guys on his staff or anybody to his liking um, should be the next head coach. And okay, he finally climbed to the mountaintop, and let's make sure whoever I want to be the heir apparent doesn't go anywhere. I don't know um, if he would feel that. You know what I mean? If he would feel that necessary to happen. I don't know if John would be adamant about who it is, who, who the replacement is. And even if he was, I don't know if Justin Sell would listen to him. I mean, hmm. Justin has a, he has a pretty good track record of bringing coaches in there. You yeah. Know, you look at, uh, I mean, I guess we're talking mostly about men's basketball where he's had, you know, keeping Scott Nagy almost feels like a hire in itself. You know, the fact that so many people yeah. wanted him fired and 
you know, looking at the record, he maybe should have fired him, oh, didn't, yeah. and, it, and it paid off, and then TJ was very successful, and now Eric Henderson's been very successful. And then you look at, you know, uh, the softball program was in disarray, and now they're amazing right now. That was a great hire. Uh, baseball, soccer, uh, there's been some other good, you know, he really swung and missed with the last volleyball hire, but nice, he seems to have righted that. So for the most part, um, he's he's got a, a good enough track record that if I was Justin Sell, I don't think I'd be necessarily wanting other people to tell me who to hire as a coach. I'd be like, you know what? I got this. I'm pretty good yeah. at this. Why don't you just uh, let me handle it? Sure. Well, and you know what? As it turned out, uh, uh, they had to give Frank Solich the job to take over for Tom Osborne because Osborne had that much power at the time. Bill Byrne, who was a big power-playing uh, athletic director who had been at Oregon and helped build what Oregon would eventually become uh, and uh, was a pretty shrewd guy, but he he felt the pressure as well. Okay, well... Coming off the national title, give it to Frank Solich. And you know, Solich won 83% of his games and almost won a national title himself, but recruiting really dropped off after all the Osborne recruits were gone. And uh, Bill Byrne, the athletic director at NU, wanted Mac Brown. And you know, I don't know how much better Mac Brown would have done than Frank Solich or at all, but uh, he wanted a guy from the outside who was pretty effing good, uh, who... In, instead went to Texas and tortured Nebraska for about 10 years and uh, and won a and national that's how title. that's ended up with Bill Callahan? Isn't that who replaced Solich? You know, that was the wrong replacement for Frank Solich, but I was all on Well, board. to be fair to them, he was their ninth choice because no one else wanted to take the job. Uh, right? y- yes, because Steve Peterson, who took over for Bill Byrne, uh, stumbled mightily in his, in his search. And maybe it was because nobody wanted to go coach at a place where they just fired a guy who won that many games but uh, <laughs> at the time we were all like hey Solich is not uh, maintaining a top five top ten level here it's not gonna you know that's that's what we play for um, and the rest has been uh, a dark a dark uh, history that people like you like to laugh at our misery about so that's a fun way to end the podcast uh, I don't know what the hell we're gonna talk about next week I guess we would talk about them not winning or not winning a national title game uh, you got anything else? No, I'm good. I'm. Uh, I need to go to bed. Yeah. Arthur fell asleep. Actually, while wow, we, were we wore out Arthur. That, oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, for those of you who've been listening and didn't fall asleep, thank you. And uh, for those of you who did fall asleep, this is the end of the podcast now. So, um, uh, we'll talk. I'm. Fl- I'm, uh, I'm uh, flying back from Texas on Monday. My flight leaves at three and gets back at like five or six or something. Wow. And then my mom's going to be in town. So we got some family stuff planned. So if you do want to wrap this shit up, um, maybe Sunday night or maybe I know you'll probably be working Monday afternoon. So I probably will might be. do it like that. Yeah. Well, maybe, maybe hey, let's do it Sunday night. Cause be the night of the game, be fresh and fun. And, Wait, so you'll you know, still be in Frisco on Sunday night? Yeah. Yeah. I'm not leaving until Monday. And you want to do it then? I think that, well, either that or I'm not going to be able to do it on Monday. And then by Tuesday, it's kind of, you know, getting stale. Let's do it Sunday night. Yeah. Okay. Sounds good. We'll talk to you Sunday night after you're done writing the story and all that stuff. That'll be fun. Thanks for joining us on Nobody's Listening Anyway. We'll talk to you next week. Why are you laughing? That was a terrible outro. (laughs) Fuck you. (laughs) Casino round drinks? Yes. Yes.